We're going down the deep. Oh, God, my voice cracked. Let me do that again. Holy cow. Sounds like Mr. Haney. <laughs> Mr. Douglas. <laughs> Mr. Douglas. The TV rabbit hole. And only $5 admission to that. Maybe I'll keep that in. This is Down the TV Rabbit Hole with Jim Sion and Harry Bartosiak. I'm Jim Sion in the great city of New Orleans, and he's Harry Bartosiak, the number one in the Chicago area. We haven't done this in a while. Good to hear your voice, my friend. Oh, it's like it's like a homecoming, Jim. I'm so grateful to be with you this evening. Well, I, I'm going to apologize in advance because, uh, as, as, as I've talked about many times here to, uh, to you in the last six weeks or so, I'm having more computer issues. And I'm thinking that maybe, just maybe, this week, I'm going to upgrade from the Commodore 63 to the Commodore 64. You think that's a wise move? Yeah, if you do that, you can get the free Pong game that comes with it, too. <laughs> yeah, but, but the thing is, I don't even think it was Pong. I think it was like, it was, it was like the, the generic version of Pong. <laughs> the knockoff of Pong. Yeah, how could you dong how could you have a knockoff of pong? but there was one remember it was cheaper than pong yeah i had it i did yeah, it was like in a plastic console it was just hideous yeah. and it had the kind of the, the connections were the kind of thing that you used to connect the tv antenna to the back of the television yep. you know those little u-shaped uh uh, metal things. That, and then you, if you touched them just right, get a little shot. And, and you'd have to switch from TV to game. You'd have that little slide they have to do. God. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. well, uh, as we go down the rabbit hole, as I think everybody knows, we feature two shows that affect it one way or another, good or bad. And uh, I've got a great one for you today. And I hope you don't mind. I'm going to talk about a show that uh, I'm, I'm surprised I haven't done it already. And to kick it off, I think I'm going to play a little bit of music. Would you mind? As they say on my favorite show, sock it to me. All right, here we go. Hang on. I got to put the microphone down. Here we go. <laughs> oh, jeez. No, I can't play. I'm left. done this one because and again you and I are the same age this is one of those shows that kind of transcends time because it's been in syndication so many times that we watched it probably in the 70s for the first time mm -hmm. but it was actually on, on the network from September 66 to March of 1968 now of course you know the show I think you probably watched it on what WFLD there in Chicago I watched it on WFLD on the UHF and, uh, you know, it's one of those things we've talked about before where these sh a lot of these shows that have been in syndication forever only have a couple of years run in them, like yeah. Star Trek or something like that, you know, some of the most popular. But I swear to God, every time I turn on The Monkees, and I've watched it forever, since probably since 1974, roundabout, yep. uh, or so, and it, maybe my memory is just shot, but I, it seems like I've seen ones that I haven't seen all the time. Even though I remember watching the damn thing forever, it was a great show. I mean, sort of. I mean, I liked it. No. You know, it was part of the fabric of our lives, as they say. The thing, the thing about the monkeys, and, and you know, uh, for a long time they drew criticism, and then they had a revival, and then they drew criticism again. They had, a I mean, they've had four or five revivals, but you know, it was a TV show about a rock and roll band, and that's how it was advertised. They put it in Variety, but wanted uh, young actors. 
and maybe they even said musicians, but, but they basically were casting a TV show about a rock and roll band. You didn't have to know how to play an instrument, and, you know, Davy Jones really didn't. Uh, Mickey Dolans could play a little bit. You yeah, know. Uh, 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 what? 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 he played the tambourine <laughs> pretty damn and, you know, good. He actually was a pretty decent drummer, and he was going to be the drummer in the band, but one of the producers, and of course the producers were uh, uh, Bob Rafelson and Burt Schneider, who a lot of people know, um, but they put him back at the drum kit, and they said, my God, he's so small, the drum kit swallows him up, he's, he's never even going to be seen. So I said, really? I swear to God, yeah, I just learned that, yeah. Stand up, David, and show my tongue I am standing up. Will the real David Jones please stand up? I am standing up. You can stand up now. We are standing up. If you stand up, you may join us. Uh, I am standing up. So I heard um, that... Uh, Mickey Dolenz was one of the last guys picked, is that true? I don't know. I know there was the open casting call, and uh, Mickey Dolenz, in, in interviews later, would joke around. He would say, oh, yeah, you know, everyone in Hollywood was, uh, they tried out for, you know, Paul Williams and uh, Stephen Sills, and that's true. And then he... Holy uh, shit. He, Can you imagine Paul oh, Williams <laughs> as one of the monkeys? The little... Is he, he was not tall. He was shorter than Davy Jones, I think. That would have been great, having Davy and Paul Williams in the monkeys. Can I mean, you and he looks like a munchkin kind of. Oh yeah. Lamps. I mean, nice guy, but that would have been a kind of a whole different vibe to the show. Well, Mickey, Although, no, go ahead. No, I'm just going to say I really love that song. It would have been a good monkey's tune. Just an old-fashioned love song coming through in three-part harmony. You know that Although would that sound. No, that that would be that, interesting to go down and list all the the Paul Williams songs that he's written because I bet he's had like a hundred hits. Yeah, and he's the kind of a guy that writes them probably, but he rarely got the credit for it because he wasn't exactly the most photogenic, you know, rock star looking guy. Like I said, basically I insulted him and said he looked like a munchkin. Uh, but uh, he had a lot of talent, and he's still alive. Oh, yeah, no, he's still acting. As a matter of fact, he's lost a lot of weight. Um, and what show was he in? Uh, it was a, a Netflix show or, or, or an Amazon show with Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, and he plays like a private investigator, and he's good. He, he actually looks pretty good for a change. No kidding. Yeah. Really? Yeah, he's lost I didn't weight. realize that he, did we miss our window for the Thanksgiving special the, when he was, was blown up like a Macy's balloon? Yes, he would. He not no, no, we could use him as a balloon this year because he's, he's actually slim, and he looks, now he may have been sick. Maybe that's why he lost weight, but, but no, he, he's, okay. he's got a normal size head again. Well, Mickey Dolenz is a good candidate, if you notice. You know, for the Macy's balloon special, you don't have to be flat-out fat. It's actually your face needs to be swelled up like a balloon until it pops. And that's exactly what Mickey Dolenz's head looks like. How dare dare you? Mickey Dolenz is one of my idols, for God's sake. But no, I think you're right. Cut this out of the special, because if he he hears it, like, I'm, I'm dead. I'm nobody. Because you know, he's actually still alive, and so I don't want to insult oh, yeah. anybody that could possibly come back to haunt me. Well, and you know the like thing is, guy. no, he is, and I actually worked with Mickey Dolenz. Mm. Did I ever tell you that story? No, yeah, you did I, not. I, well, well, you know, and I, I got to give myself credit here, and I want you to tell everybody this after I'm gone. When I grew up as a kid, the two groups, and I'm talking sixth, seventh, eighth grade through early high school, the two bands that I listened to were the Monkees and the Dukes of Dixieland. And I'm proud to say I got to meet and, and actually work with one of the monkeys. And now, you know, I'm basically the leader of the Asunto Dukes tribute, which is really the Dukes of Dixieland. So if, if I've achieved nothing else in my life, I've achieved that. And wow. I'm proud. So. Wow. Well, that, no, I mean, I think those are tremendous achievements. 
unless you were going to tell me that you worked with Mickey in the sequel uh, to the Circus Boy movie that he was in uh, prior to the Monkees. But if it was something music related, I'm very impressed. And well, actually, you, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm very impressed you remember Circus Boy because yeah, Mickey Dolenz was on that show. I think it was on for a couple of years as a child actor. And of course, Davy Jones had done Broadway. He was the Artful Dodger, I think, in uh, in Oliver. Um, perfect Artful Dodger. That's yeah, perfect no, you're exactly right. Um, so they were both actors, Mike Nesmith and Peter Tork. And Peter Tork, I actually got to know pretty well. Um, really? But, wow. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, it was great. But anyway, they were musicians. They formed the band. And of course, you know, to talk about episodes, I mean, it was silliness, but it was fun. It was slapstick. Um, you know, John Lennon used to call them the Marx Brothers. No, that was, he called, uh, no, he talked about... Um, the Hudson Brothers. He called the Hudson Brothers the Marx Brothers of Saturday morning TV. But, uh, but you know, th- 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 it was it was good. <laughs> the Hudson Brothers. I forgot about them. <laughs> I know the Hudson Brothers. <laughs> That's right. They were, yeah, what were they? They were like poor man's Gatlin Brothers oh. or something like that. Yeah. The, poor, poor man's Smothers Brothers. They were, I've Googled them, and it's worth a Google, but it's only going to, you'll only waste 30 seconds of your time because... They were musicians, and they had a Saturday morning show, and I think they had cartoons in there. But um, it's it, the stuff that they did was just terrible. I mean, the terrible. music, it's bad. It's the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, starring Bill, Mark, and Brett, the Hudson Brothers. A lot of and bad it, psychedelic stuff. Yeah, they had those oh, big afros, you know. Yeah, yeah, like the poofed out hair. Yeah, the afros and, and the seventies beard. And yeah, uh, that's I think right. Usually had like beards. a guy dress up in a gorilla costume and make jokes about it. It's it really just terrible. <laughs> you know what? Maybe we'll. You, I, you know what? I might do that one in the future because I actually did go down the rabbit hole on the Hudson Brothers, uh, and of course, Kate Hudson, the beautiful Kate Hudson, is the daughter of Goldie Hawn and. One of the Hudson brothers. I don't That's know right. One. Yeah, yeah. So he's got that going for him. I'll tell you what, when we do the next Saturday morning show, you do Hudson Brothers and I'll do the Ghostbusters, which is not like the movie Ghostbusters, but instead was the one with an end stage Forrest Tucker and Larry Storch and the guy in the, the real guy in the gorilla costume. Oh, now was, it, was that. that a real show or was it animated? No, it was real. Oh, Lord. Forrest Tucker didn't look good on F Troop. I can't imagine him. Oh, God. Oh, man. Yeah. So, okay. Well, we're getting a little far afield. Here. That's all right. No, no, no. Back it's, into the left thing. Well, uh, you know, I don't want to talk too much about the individual episodes because, like I say, it wasn't uh, high comedy. It was slapstick. But it was fun, and of course it had the music, you know. And when they started, oh my God, yeah. And when they started the show, and I think you know this, uh, they hired Don Kirshner to be the musical producer or musical director, whatever it was. So they go into the studio. Yeah. And they the monkeys, it was basically um, Davey and, and Mickey recording most of the vocals. So they record the vocals to their first album before the TV show is even on the air, before they were even taping the TV show, I think. And bingo, all of a sudden, they've got a hit album. Uh, the first one was called The Monkeys, and the second one was More of the Monkeys. Those were the two that Don Kirshner produced. And during the first season, that's the music that they used from those first two albums. And as you know, 
On those first two albums, you had Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart writing songs, as well as Carol King and Neil Diamond and Neil Sedaka. Chip Douglas yeah. produced a lot. I mean, you know, top of the line uh, producers, writers. And, of course, who was the band? Do you remember? Well, it was the Wrecking Crew. Right. Glenn Campbell played on Last Train to Clarksville and a bunch of that stuff, I know. So I know Mike Nesbitt could play the guitar, but not like that. Not like just at the drop of the hat. So he had to kind of learn his his own parts, from what I understood. Is that correct? Exactly right. And, and of course, the Monkees took a lot of flack because, oh, you know, they don't play their own instruments. Well, after a year, you know, Mike Nesmith became a pretty good guitar player. Peter Tork yeah. could play the keyboards, and, and Mickey Dolan's learned how to play the drums. But because for that for those first couple of albums, you know, they used the Wrecking Crew, uh, it was a stigma. Oh, they don't play their own instruments. Well, the fact is, and you know this, everybody who recorded in L.A. used the Wrecking Crew. Exactly. I, when I saw the show, I remember, that, I forget what band they're talking about, but some like a British band, uh, they were talking about these guys went on the road, and they're they regular musicians, but they used the Wrecking Crew, and then they were kind of pissed because they had to learn to play this stuff for the road. And it was like, this is too good. We can't, this is, and so they spent all their time rehearsing, you know, on the way to the gigs. So that, I guess in the show, you know, the Beach Boys, like almost all of, all of them, you're out. We're, we're, nobody's playing their instruments on this. It's the Wrecking Crew. So anybody that came through there did, uh, use them and the, they were you know these guys were huge I mean they had like five six guitar players in there they had uh, Glenn Campbell they had um, uh, a bunch of guys came in and out Barney Kessel was there a lot Tommy Tedesco who was awesome he played oh, like yeah, uh, sure. Rockford Files and Bonanza theme all those guitar parts and even uh, James Burton Elvis's guitar player I mean right yeah, yeah. so and, and, and that's just guitar. It, the same goes for the piano players, the drummer. I mean, on, yeah. So it was no no shameful thing. They, they weren't, it wasn't some like big scam, you know, where they, they couldn't play at all. They had talent. Yeah. They just, they just weren't ready for prime time as a full-blown sure. rock act. That's all. Well, and the thing is, within a year, they were touring. They toured Australia and yeah. Japan, I think. And like you say, you know, Mike Nesmith learned how to play the licks. Uh, I forget who it was who was interviewed. But uh, the guy who came up with the uh, the beginning to um, uh, Last Train to Clarksville. Um, dun, 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 dun. And he said, he said I played that, and uh, Mike Nesmith said, oh, man. He says, I got to learn that. He says, well, yeah, you got to learn that if you're going out on the road, because that's like the most famous guitar riff of the monkey. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Glenn Campbell, was it not? I thought I had heard him say that somewhere, but I might It could have been. You know, my, mem my memory goes... Dodges in and out and around different corners, and I get things confused at my ripe old age now. But uh, so I invite you to correct me because you have the books, you know, so you can go back and check. Well, you know, if it wasn't Glenn Campbell, it was one of those other really good guys. Because yeah. I think even Herb Alpert, when he did the Tijuana Brass albums, I think yeah. that he used the Wrecking Crew. I think it was just him playing trumpet, and the rest of the guys were all studio dudes. Well, I think you're right. As a matter of fact, he's the guy who produced the Wrecking Crew movie along with Tommy Tedesco's son. So he, he had a, he must have had a connection going way back with them. But yeah, so um, Don Kirshner, the big producer, right? Remember he had that show on in the 70s, Don Kirshner's Rock Concert. Right. When he would come on, you know, with that voice, he sounded like a, you know, typical Hollywood producer. And then it was just basically bad footage of some 
uh, rock concert. Uh, really, was usually was not very good. It was like fuzzy yep. Ricky Lee Jones or something like that. Yeah, no, I remember that. Very, it was never well lit. They just went like to an arena, yeah. and you know, obviously, they, they, it was haphazard lighting. Um, but I remember Don Kirshner. He was one of the uh, masters of the bad comb over, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yeah. He. It looked like Paul Schaefer doing an impersonation of Don Kirshner. And, and he did. I think he did. Didn't he do an impersonation of him? I yeah, said, he yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to the monkeys real quick. Um, it was on for two seasons. In the second season, that's when Mike Nesmith had his big uh, tantrum and said, hey, we want to produce the records. We want to write the songs. We want to do this. And they fired Don Kirshner. So in that second season, if you remember, that's when they started wearing like uh, the psychedelic outfits and Mike Nesmith started wearing those red sunglasses. and, and uh, Oh, really? And, yeah. I didn't know that. And, and, wow. and so as the second season went along, the music wasn't quite as good, even though they were still selling a lot of albums. But, uh, but they were starting to really kind of falter a little bit. And, of course, after two seasons, they got canceled. But if they were going to come back for a third season, they were actually going to do a variety show. Huh. Yeah, and I never knew that. They, they, that was the plan. They're like, okay, for the third season, we're just going to you know, do a variety of acts and stuff. But obviously that never came to fruition. But, uh, but I thought that was kind of interesting. I would have loved to know like who they had planned for it, if they had anybody planned for it. Were they just going to bring in Paul Williams and people like that that were, yeah. didn't Alan quite Sher- make the cut? Alan Sherman, hello, Mudda, hello, Fada. I think that was the plan. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was already laying in bed Drink it with a cooler of beer next to him. <laughs> That's that the point. Lee Hale story. It says Alan Sherman, that big whale sitting on his bed, big thing of cold beer, wouldn't even offer Lee Hale a beer. He's just drinking them all. <laughs> <laughs> I give him credit for that, actually. He sounds like it's supposed to be a negative. I don't know. I, I remember Lee Hale's one of the sweetest guys in the world. He's a guy that was the music director for the Dean Martin program, and he wrote a great book. He actually wrote two great books. And he has great things to say about everyone. The only one he has anything bad to say about Alan Sherman. He says, as a matter of fact, when he did the Dean Martin show, Alan Sherman came in and, and did his whatever piece. It wasn't Hello Mudda, Hello Fada, but it was one of those parodies. He said that uh, Greg Garrison, uh-huh. the producer, was so pissed off at the way he treated Lee Hale, he didn't even roll tape. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, give him his good. money, send him home. We're not using him. So that was it. <laughs> uh, all right, so the Monkees, obviously, out for two seasons. Uh, then they went, I think, to CBS, and they were on in the morning from 69 to about 75. And if you remember, that's when the Monkees were kind of breaking up a little bit. Peter Tork was the first to quit. Wait but a minute. The mo- yeah. I'm so sorry. I've interrupted you more this show than ever, but I'm getting no, excited. do it, do it. Uh, what do you mean they were on in the morning? You mean the reruns? Okay. Yes. I thought, I thought yeah. what, did I miss some monkey's morning show next to Captain Kangaroo, wasting my time watching Mr. Rogers or something like that? So these were reruns. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And they were sponsored by Kool-Aid, so the remaining monkeys got together and they actually did some Kool-Aid oh, ads. Oh, yeah. That- hey, what's up, baby? Nothing's up. It's nobody here but us monkeys. <laughs> so let's make some friends. Yeah, let's make some of that new Kool-Aid punch. Make friends with Kool-Aid. Make Kool-Aid with friends. Hope that never ends. But it was... Okay. <laughs> no, that was, that was before the fucker who comes through the fence and breaks everything to pieces and everyone gets mad. You know, hey, Kool-Aid, no, no, no! <laughs> 
but uh, but uh, the Kool Aid spots were good. It was I think it was make friends with Kool Aid, make Kool Aid with friends, and I can't sing anymore. We'll get sued. But you know uh, what, Jim? But anyways, if, yeah, if yeah. I had a spare two million dollars next year's Super Bowl, I'm gonna buy. 30 seconds of ad time, and I'm just going to rerun one of those old Kool-Aid commercials. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like to have the, 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 you know, he used to come in different colors. Sometimes he was the grape pitcher full of Kool-Aid, you know, with the face. Sometimes he was the red. Right. I would just be watching the Super Bowl, just love to hear people's review of, what the hell was that? It's the Kool-Aid commercial. Now, did I ever tell you my idea for a Super Bowl ad? No. That, uh, that I actually, that, and I think it's great. Because, and granted, this goes back, oh, God, I was working for Fox, so it must have been seven years ago. But uh, Betty White did that Snickers ad, and then Abe Vigoda is at the yeah. end of it. Remember that one? Okay. So I wrote one for the next year, and I tried to get it to somebody, and of course I failed. But imagine this. It's just your, your typical conference room, big, long table, bunch of people sitting there. Two guys are standing at the front. There's like a, a, a director, and the next to him is obviously kind of the flunky assistant. You know, he's shorter. He's wearing like a short sleeve sport shirt with a tie. Um, you know, and he's got, maybe he's holding a clipboard. Uh, or no, actually he's holding, he's holding like a, a big uh, 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 Sharpie pen in his right hand. Okay, so imagine that, holding a Sharpie pen in his right hand, right, you know, kind of like at his breast. And so the big guy, the director, says, listen, he says, the Betty White commercial for Snickers last year was great, but we've got to top it. We've got to come up with something better. We need a celebrity. Come on. I'm locking the door. No one's getting out of here until someone gives me a name. And then they cut to the assistant. He says, name? My name is Raymond J. Johnson, Jr. <laughs> you can call me right. And, of course, he's right. And everyone's trying to get out of the conference room. They're like... Trying to go through the window, go through the transom at the top, whatever the hell a transom is. They're picking up the table, trying to get out while Ray J. Johnson is doing his, you can call me Jay, or you can call me Johnny, or you can call me Sooty. And then the, the, the director gives him a, a Snickers. He says, hey, yeah, have a Snickers, blah, blah, blah. And then the tagline is, you know, uh, you're not you when you're hungry. And then the guy comes back and he says, uh, uh, you know, whatever. But that was that was the spot. I thought it was a good I like one. it. I, I like it. I think you got half of an idea anyway. You put up a million for that, and it's the very tail end. Kool-Aid breaks through the wall and knocks over Ray J. Johnson. How about that? Oh, and that would be the escape right. route. For, that's perfect. Oh, okay. two and one. Love it. All right. All right. So uh, so anyway, so the monkeys, uh, as you know, um, they t uh, took control of their music. They wrote all the songs. They performed all the music. And then in the late 60s, you know, they got canceled. Yeah. They did that horrible, horrible movie, Head. Do you yeah, remember that I one? tried to watch it, and I just could not make it through. Yeah, there are a couple of cute things in it. Davy Jones sings a good song uh, and does, like, a, a soft shoe. Uh, but, yeah, it's and, of course, they all admit it. They were all stoned or, or worse. You know, it was uh, Jack Nicholson and Rafelson was involved, and, of course, the monkeys, and they're all just, you know, out of their minds, and it was just, you know, a haphazard piece of material uh, at best. yeah. Not good. Bad idea. I couldn't get through that one, just like I couldn't get through Coming to America 2 last night. I don't uh, For our audience out there, it, it, it wasn't worth the price of admission on Amazon Prime, and it was free. So that's, that's uh, how bad my review is. Wow. Well, that's bad. If it's free and you still feel like you got gypped. Yeah, because I was robbed at that time. I feel like... Yeah. Anyway... Now wait a minute, because the original coming to America, to America, um, that that's the Albert Brooks one, right? No, that's um, 
What the hell is that called? Lost, Lost in, in America. America. Right, yeah. Coming to America is Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall, which I never saw the first one. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, my God, you're telling... Oh, God, that breaks my heart because I had such high hopes for that one. Well, I mean, when you do a remake of a comedy after 32 years, it is pretty much guaranteed to be bad. And this one uh, was not even at that level. It was, it was brutal. Oh. So, I mean, you know, I had to turn it off. The funniest joke came at the beginning when they had Louis Anderson drinking. He just said, I'd like a Pepsi, please. And just the way he said it was funny. Like, that's not enough to make a movie, okay? Boy, that, you know what? That's the biggest disappointment I've heard in a long time. Because, and I, had for, I knew it was coming out. But and I forgot when. But oh god, and it's free. Oh, you might like it. No, hey, no. You know, if you don't like it, own. no. If you don't like it, I won't like it. No. Yeah. That's anyway. Too bad. Well, all right. Back to the monkeys. Uh, as you know, uh, they broke up. Um, then they kind of got yeah. back together with Voice and Heart. And then in '86, let me just check my notes. I think it was '86. Yeah, they get, they went on MTV, uh, the syndicated shows, and everyone rediscovered them, and everyone went crazy. And of course. They did that reunion tour, and I actually saw that reunion tour at Poplar Creek. And I saw him in um, in the middle of Iowa somewhere. I forget it was uh, Cedar Rapids or Des Moines or forget. Oh, Bettendorf, Bettendorf, Iowa. Saw the monkeys. Yeah, because you were in college then. That would have been. That would have probably we been the same tour. We took a road trip. Yeah, we got in a car. Guy named Chaz Campbell came over to the fraternity house. He's like, "Hey, get in the car. We're going to see the monkeys." And, and you know, that's the great thing about college. You could say, okay, and you get in the car, and we went. And it was awesome. Oh. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I don't remember too much of it, but what do you remember from Poplar Creek? I remember a huge audience, yep. like fully packed. This is a big place. Like Poplar Creek, people don't know. This is like normal size outdoor concert venue where you'd see A-rated acts, basically. Yep. They were packing them in. Yeah, I, 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 I have nothing bad to say about it. It was great. Uh, the music was really good. Uh, it was packed. But I remember looking at the program and buying the program, and I'm like, oh, my God. Because you hadn't seen him for 20 years, you know. Like, uh -huh. Mickey's got crow's feet, and what happened? His hair's starting to fall out. And, oh, boy, and, and, and Peter, I don't know. He doesn't look so, you know. They, they, I mean, they were just 20 years older. They all still look good, but it was just like in a heartbeat, they aged 20 years. Right. And that, now it's been 50 years. And they're all dead, except for well, Mickey, thank God, and Peter. Right? I mean, no, and um, Mike. Right, right, right yeah. Nesmith and, and, and Dolans are still around. Uh, and now, when I saw him, yeah. when we saw him at this 1986, or was, was it 87 or whatever, whenever that was, that was one of the last ones that Mike Nesmith did for a while, right? He wouldn't have anything to do with him after a while. Are you getting to that part or no? No, I, I actually didn't have any notes on it, but yes, you're exactly right. He, he was involved for a little bit. Um, I think he played the L.A. shows because uh, he was doing a bunch of stuff. You know, he's always had his hand in a bunch of things. Um, but there was one concert, and I don't know what year, and I'll put it in the corrections, but they started a tour, and it might have been the tour after the reunion tour because I don't think he was full in on the first reunion tour, but... He did a show. Okay. They did a show together, and I think it started in L.A., and they got lambasted. They got a horrible review, and so Mike was like, ah, screw this, I quit, and he left. And then he didn't play with Whoa. them for a long, long, long time, and now he and Mickey are still touring. They just did a tour of Australia, I think, and, uh, and I think they have another one planned for this year. Isn't that funny how some guy thinks his shit doesn't stink for about 25 years, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's... he's 
you know, driving the bus for continuing the tour. I don't know whether he is a nice guy, not a nice guy, or what the situation was, but it seemed like it was like never going to happen that he was going to be back with the monkeys. And then towards the end of uh, Davy Jones and Peter Tork's life, he came back regularly, even, you know, so he came around. Well, he is kind of, and I can say this, he is kind of an asshole. He's very pompous. Um, and granted, his mom invented, uh, invented liquid paper, as you know, so the guy's got, you know, FU money, as they say. He can come and go as he pleases. Um, but he actually claims to have, he says, you know, I'm the one who made the first music video. It, oh, yeah, Fish Heads? Was it, was it Fish Heads? I, th- I think, it, the, according to what I found, it was a tune called Rio. Um, okay, and, maybe. Yeah. And it was 1977, but... That just makes me laugh because you remember, for God's sake, I mean, when the Beatles stopped touring uh, after Sgt. Pepper, they would make, like, especially Magical Mystery Tour. Magical Mystery Tour is basically a music video with, you know, a little bit of dialogue in between the songs. And, I mean, the Beatles were, and even the Monkees, for God's sake, weren't they doing music videos on the show? That's, yeah, those, that was the... Yeah, that was the whole show. Like three or four yeah. of those inter- interspersed with some uh, light hu- uh, humor gag. Um, there was a there was a storyline, but it was almost almost impossible to follow. <laughs> yeah, it was it was secondary. It really didn't matter. You yeah. know, Davy falls in love with a girl and gets stars in his eyes, and Mickey's doing his James Cagney impersonation. Oh, and here's Pleasant Valley Sunday. You know. Now I heard uh, actually saw an interview with Peter Tork, and he. He was pretty direct. This was towards the end of his life, and he's like, you know, I basically had a hard. I am having a hard time touring with these guys because they drink too much. Uh, he was talking about Davy Jones and uh, uh, Mickey Dolan's. Not really criticizing their drinking so much as that he didn't drink, and he was like, it's hard to, for me to get along because I don't, you know, I go to bed early. I don't want to deal with this, and it's getting it's difficult for me. I don't know if you ever heard anything along those lines, but this is. This is like, you know, in the 2000s, he's talking about. I met Peter Tork. He was in town in Fort Myers, and I interviewed him. And then after the show, he said, hey, I already had tickets. So I interviewed him for the new news. And I said, hey, you don't have to give me tickets. I'm already there, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, make sure to come backstage afterwards. And blah, and he gave me a little thing or backstage pass or whatever. No, his manager was there. That was it. And so the manager said, no, 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 you come, you just come. And so anyway, so we spent time together before and after the interview. And he was. He was very... Uh, he was a very sweet guy, very smart guy, knew a lot about classical music, and and we talked about Shostakovich, and uh, you remember the t- uh, well, I'm sure you don't, but uh, the Planets by Gustav Holst. Uh, it, no. it, it's a class, it's a classical piece where he wrote a song for every planet. There's one song called one movement called Mercury, one movement called Mars, one movement called Saturn, and it's the biggest piece of shit in the world, if you ask me. Uh, <laughs> But, but in high school band, it seemed like everyone had to play it. Okay. And I remember I said, God, we had to play the plan. Oh, my God, the most punishing piece of music of all time. How could anyone even listen to that? I'm like, amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's good. And who did you, what did you do with uh, Mickey Dolenz, if I may ask? It, it was Decatur, Illinois. It was, uh, let's see, when was I in Decatur? It was early 90s. And we had the Decatur Celebration, which was a free event. It's not free anymore, those fuckers. Uh, but it used to be completely free, you know, street vendors, there'd be 10 stages going at once, they'd block off all of downtown, and Mickey Dolenz was one of the performers. So I went to my boss, and I said, listen, I said, I grew up listening to the Monkees and the Dukes of Dixieland. Uh, I would love to be able to emcee the show. 
And he goes, all right, sure. Yeah, I'll let you do it. And uh, so basically, you know, you've, you've done those gigs before. Hey, welcome to Cater Celebration. Everyone having a good time? Yeah, all right. Woo! You know, um, all right, we want to remind you that uh, whatever, the sponsor, you mentioned the sponsor. And then I mentioned the fact that after the show, if you want to meet Mickey, come on back. You can take photos. And I think he charged like $10 for a Polaroid photo, which sounds kind of cheesy. Um, yeah, but uh, but that was basically it. I just and then I said, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Cater Celebration the great Mickey Dolans, and he comes nice. out. And, and he was a know. nice guy, huh? Yeah, he was. He was very nice, very professional. Um, yeah. You know, he, he, but you could tell, and I noticed this the the the, the, the next time that I met him because I met him two more times after that. He's just kind of you know, all right, I'm doing this, and you know, he performs well, but you can kind of tell he's he's kind of been there, done that. Right. He's like, all right, I'll do the gig and I'll smile and I'll shake hands and I'm a nice guy, but basically, when can I get the hell out of here? Yeah, yeah, I kind of got that feeling. Not in a bad way. I mean, yeah. you know, you've worked with people like that before. And uh, Don McLean, who I worked with, who did American Pie, now he was an asshole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good. Finally, we're getting to something good here. Yeah. Well, and it was, it, this was something that was really good in Fort Myers. It was called Edison Pops at Sunset. And it was my friend, the late Dennis Hill. Oh, he was the, the music director, music teacher at Edison College for over 30 years. Great saxophone player. He actually played at my wedding. Um, just a great guy. He, and he died so suddenly, it broke my heart. Uh, but uh, he, our TV station wouldn't sponsor it. And every year, they'd bring in a pop act. And they'd you know, do their thing. And then they'd play some with the orchestra. You know, you've seen those before, for guys. It's kind of like when you, probably when you saw Mel Torme. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I could be, but that was at the Mill Run Theater. That was a class place where they had all the big acts. But anyway, I get your point. Yeah, they come in, they play with some local musicians, things like that. Right? Yes, yeah. yeah. And uh, so we had the Letterman one year, which, of course, oh. Letterman, you know, I know. <laughs> but, but, but the thing was, they, they were actually pretty, I mean, they sang, uh, I remember they all took solo turns, and uh, the, the one guy named Donovan T sang a song that he wrote, uh, and that didn't go over too well. Uh, but uh, but the one guy, there was this one guy in the Letterman with this cheesy mustache. And, of course, there's only one original guy still around. Um, oh, God, what's his name? Tony something. And he's, like, in his 80s at this point. But he could still sing. So he had the, the, the younger guy, 40-year-old guy with a mustache, and he sang Copacabana. Oh, God. <laughs> but, but, but I got to tell you. Everyone loved it. They're like, "What the fuck?" You know, you're sitting out there. It's all, it's just a lawn chair thing where you bring, you yeah. know, a bottle of wine and you know, cheese and everyone. And it was great. It was wonderful. Um, so, but anyway, Don McLean was there, and uh, and I'm kind of acting as the stage manager because I'm the MC because we didn't have a stage manager. You know, it's a huge stage and everything. But so he's in his trailer. And uh, so he comes out, Don, hi, I'm the MC. good to see you, what do you want me to say, all this, blah, blah, blah. He's like, okay, yeah, do this, blah, 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 okay, you know, no big deal. But um, after he gets done, uh, he gets done, and I, like, you know, uh, he was going to come up for an encore, whatever, but I'm backstage, backstage, it's outside, I'm on the steps leading up to the stage, and right. he comes off, and he had just done either Starry Starry Night or American Pie, you know, which are really the only two songs anybody knows that he did, but this one woman, and she was like, 55 she was kind of heavy and she comes running over and she's obviously so excited to she wants to give him a hug and he just like threw his guitar in her way says not now and he goes back to the to the trailer and she was brokenhearted and, and i just I, I wish i could have said something i wish you could have done something um Whoa, that's yeah and it was one person it's not like it was the beatles in hard day's night you know 
one person, and he couldn't even say thank you, dear, give her a hug. But no, so that pissed me off. Yeah. Well, he's dead, so that serves him right, I suppose. Oh, is he? Oh, good. That's, yeah. Now I don't feel so bad about calling him an asshole. But. That's too bad. Well, and you know what? You talk about one-hit wonders, and he did. He actually had two hits. But And for a while, do you know he would not even perform American Pie? Yeah, that that's a classic story, isn't it? Where somebody's mm-hmm. associated with the one thing that makes them famous, and they recoil from it, either because they're an asshole or usually because they're an asshole. That's like Meatloaf not doing Paradise uh, by the Dashboard Lights. I mean, you know, <laughs> oh, you're not going to do it? Okay, I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't? No, I don't know that. For, I was just trying to think of somebody else from that era that had one big breakout hit, and that's it. Right. You know. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, well, that's too bad. Well, maybe Mr. McLean redeemed himself before he, before he passed into that good well, night, I'll, but that's a bad story. I'll, I'll say this. Everyone loved him. I mean, uh, you know, when he yeah. did American... It's pretty cool when you see a guy like Don McLean doing American Pie. Um, you know, I mean, you're like, wow, that's, you know, that's pretty historic. It's pretty cool. You know, and here we are in Fort Myers, Florida, and I get to MC it. And like a dummy, I never took any pictures. At any, I do have pictures of me with the monkeys. Well, no, I have pictures of me with Peter, and then I have pictures of my wife with Davey and, uh, and Mickey uh, when they came to Fort Myers. We saw him, I think, twice or three times in Fort Myers, but... Uh, but every time we saw them, they were great, you know, and they had, um, you know, they were playing a lot of their own instruments, uh, and they had a real good band behind them. But the thing that bugs me about the Monkees, and again, you're more of a music purist than I am, I think, or mm. more, when it comes to rock and roll. You know a lot more than I do. I don't know about that, but anyway. But we talked about the Wrecking Crew and how everyone yeah. used them. How in the hell are the Monkees not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, because everybody listened to their music. It's not... a they're thought of a band first and a TV show or simultaneous band and TV show which was kind of the point of the show but the music is great it's classic I listen to it I have it all loaded up on my Apple Music today they're definitely super influential in pop rock music no doubt about it it's not a gimmicky one trick pony kind of a thing you know I I liken the monkeys to like Johnny Cash and Jerry Reed when you get their greatest hits like if it's a double CD and you put them in there's not a clinker. There, you're like, no. holy cow, that's a good one. And there's a bunch more songs that are really good, too, that don't make it to the greatest hits. They, they go that deep. They really do. Maybe not the greatest band in the world, but they're definitely excellent and funny and super influential on multiple levels uh, because of the TV show and the music combined. Definitely should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, this is going to make our, our number one fan, John Kuhn, happy because he and I talked about this about a month ago. Yeah. And he's like, I don't understand it. And he's, he's another guy. He's like you. I mean, he knows history of rock and roll. He's, you know, he's, he's actually uh, um, hired a lot of the biggies. He hired Bob Dylan, actually, to play at, uh, at Hammond Stadium. And like a dummy, I didn't go to the concert. Not that I'm a huge Dylan fan, but for God's sake, Bob Dylan's playing, you know, three blocks from your house. Well, it's about two miles from my house. And I didn't go, like a dummy. I don't know why. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, did I ever tell you, maybe John, I wonder if he ever hired for one of his uh, shows, um, Mamas and the Papas. I went to see them at uh, the Arlington Heights Frontier Days Festival. I played and, you know, Frontier Days. I, my band actually played Frontier Days. We keep yeah. going. Yeah, so, so yeah. I love it. <laughs> so it was a similar thing to what you were describing, maybe Fort Myers or Decatur, where you know they'll have bands at the end of their useful life, so right, to speak. Right. And it's usually like one or two surviving members, and sometimes not even the lead singer. And in the case of the Mamas and the Papas, only surviving member was 
John Phillips. Wow. Got a lot of trouble. Well, wait a minute. No, no, no. Michelle Phillips is still alive, but she wasn't performing. She wasn't. I'm talking about who was going to be performing. Right. So now Mackenzie Phillips, his daughter, was going to be performing with him, too. But as far Mm. as the lineup that they had for the show, John, Papa John was the only surviving member going to perform. And the night before he got sick, quote unquote, and had to be in the hospital and miss the show. So I saw the mamas and the papas with exactly zero <laughs> original members. <laughs> Wait a minute. Didn't he say, he sang lead on a lot of those songs, so was it just yeah. like silence, 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 and then you're, ah. Had, one of the other guys had to step up. You know, next man up. <laughs> it, it was like Spinal Tap when, when one of the guys quit. Oh, no, I can't do that. All right, so we'll just... We'll do the, what, what do they call it, Spinal Tap uh, Phase 2 Jazz Fusion or whatever? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah. still, still, to me, the greatest visual joke in history was the end of that tour where they go to that outdoor theater and there's the sign that says, Puppet Show, Spinal Tap. <laughs> yeah. Rob Ryder's a genius just for that joke alone. Puppet Show, uh-huh. Spinal Tap. <laughs> Oh, God. We got to do that one. Oh, we yeah. Might we might have should. to do some down the movie rabbit hole sometime, too. That's a whole nother thing. All right. Just to finish up my notes here, um, of course, the Monkees did a couple of TV specials. They did one in 69. It's called 33 and one third revolutions per monkey. It's dumb. It's not worth, worth seeing. They're just basically, they're, they're obviously still angry about the fact that, you know, the, the TV studio wouldn't let them do their thing. And it's kind of like the man is always putting his foot down on us and keeping us down. And it's just not funny. And then, of course, they did a better one in 97 that Mike Nesmith wrote. Hey, hey, it's the Monkees. It was on ABC. Do you remember that special? No, I kind of like to see that. Uh, I don't have any memory of that at all. Not even a vague yeah. um, memory. It, it, it Something weird happened. Like, they produced it, and it went on, like, up against some juggernaut. And for whatever no one really found it. And they only, you know, it was just a one-off. It was a one special. Um, but it's clever. You know, it's it's really, it basically, it, the premise is, uh, the Monkeys TV show got canceled. But, no, the Monkeys were still doing TV shows. It's just you didn't see them. So it's basically the same exact loft, and it's like someone comes in, and they're like, wait a minute, you know, someone comes in, and they're trying to uh, uh, sell uh, Peter Tork a, a contract. Uh, it's basically the devil wants Peter Tork to sign a contract to make him learn how to play the harp, which was actually an original Monkeys episode. But Mike Nesmith would always say, wait a minute, hold on, uh, selling soul to the devil, and Mickey's like looking in a file cabinet, and he's, no, episode 314, we already did that one. And the guy's like, oh, sorry, nope, go take off. Um, and they play some music, and they, and they play a couple of classic tunes. They play a couple of uh, new songs because they had had a new album out. But it's clever. It's really good. It's definitely worth a Google. You, you'll like it. Yeah, I think I'll watch that. I, I was going to watch Return to Mayberry again on <laughs> YouTube, but I think I'll watch that instead. Thanks for the tip. You know, Return to Mayberry is good, except for that stupid sea monster. Uh, you know, that, that, that whole plot line with the sea monster, I just don't like it. I agree. We'll do that one next time. Uh, but uh, I loved hearing about the monkeys. It was super musically inspired. And uh, when we get to it in a little bit, I've got a musical theme to my show, too. So I thank you for greasing the skids.
Well, excellent. Well, you know, that's pretty much everything I got on the monkeys. Uh, I, I mentioned a couple hey, of things hey. earlier. <laughs> I'll put them in the corrections. But, uh, you know, and the funny thing is, I don't think you and I had ever really talked about the monkeys, even though we were growing up in Chicago and watching it at the same time. And I'm glad you feel the same way I do uh, and John does about getting them in the Hall of Fame. That's got to happen. Absolutely. I would be glad to help champion that cause. All right, I'm sorry to end this episode so abruptly, but Harry and I pitched two shows to do. And we went so long, I had to turn it into a two-part episode. And I thought I picked a great show with the monkeys. And I think I did, actually. I did pick a good show. But Harry totally trumped me with his selection. It's another musical selection. And, well, obviously, you'll hear it here in just a little bit. But his is great. We talked about Paul Williams, some of the songs he wrote. And he had a gazillion hits. But it doesn't seem like he's written anything lately. Uh, We've Only Just Begun, the song that was sung by the Carpenters. Rainy Days and Mondays Always Get Me Down. Evergreen. That was from A Star Is Born, I think. Barbara Streisand. And most importantly, I should have led with this, Paul Williams wrote the lyrics to The Love Boat. Uh, Kate Hudson's dad was Bill Hudson from the Hudson Brothers. And the lick on last train to Car- uh, Clarksville, and supposedly he just kind of did it on the fly. It just kind of happened. A great guitar man called Louis Shelton. So there you go. That's down the TV rabbit hole. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time. So long now.